The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water of them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road, from Elath and Ezion Geber. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given R to the people of Lot for a possession. The Emim formerly lived there, a great people and many, and tall as the Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as Rephaim, but the Moabites called them Emim. The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now rise up and go over the brook Zered. So we went over the brook Zered. And the time for our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years until the entire generation, that is, the men of war who had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. So as soon as all the men of war had perished and were dead from among the people, the Lord said to me, today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ar. And when you approach the territory of the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them, for I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot for a possession. It is also counted as a land of Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim, a great people and many, and tall as the Anakim. But the Lord destroyed them before the Ammonites, and they dispossessed them and settled in their place as he did for the people of Esau who live in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites before them and they dispossessed them and settled in their place even to this day. As for the Avim who lived in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaphtarim 
who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and settled in their place. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Brian, thank you. Well, good morning. My name is Chad Middlebrooks. I'm one of the other pastors on staff here, and it's great to see everyone this morning and to get to open God's Word together. If you're visiting with us, we are in a study in the book of Deuteronomy, and over the last two weeks in our study, we have seen what covenant renewal requires. And covenant renewal requires that we remember our rebellion as sinners, but we also remember God's faithfulness to His people. And we remember that our disobedience, when we sin against God, it has consequences. And we also remember our temptation to presume upon God as well. And throughout the few weeks of our study in Deuteronomy, we've seen that Israel has been through a lot in their 40 years in the wilderness wanderings. And as the first generation of Israel comes to the end of their wanderings, Moses recounts uh, their journey as they begin to head towards the promised land. And what we will learn this morning is what it means to trust God amid any and all circumstances in life. And so with that, let's pray and then we will jump into this text. Let's pray together. O God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, We rejoice, we give you thanks to know you as our God. And Father, the only reason we can know you is because you know and loved us first. And so we would ask now that you would come, that you would speak to our hearts your truths that we need to hear. Some of us maybe for the first time, but others of us to remember, to remember your goodness yet again of your deep and abiding love for us that has been shown through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's in his matchless name we pray these things. Amen. Well, earlier this year in April, a Washington, D.C. weatherman was doing his job as bad weather and tornadoes were coming through the area. But he also took care of his priorities at the same time. So while he was on air, meteorologist Doug Kammermer called his own kids during a live broadcast to warm them calmly but gently, urging them to go into the basement because their house seemed to be in the path of the coming tornado. And after he was getting off the phone during the live broadcast, he said to the audience, I have to warn my kids. Now, who got that call? Not everybody his kids. Why? Because his kids were special, because they were his. So they had unique access to his provision and his guidance. Well, here in Deuteronomy chapter 2, Moses recounts the wilderness wanderings of the first generation. And they were being disciplined here. Why? Because they were God's kids, his children. But as they wandered and they roamed, they were being guided by God, they were being given provision by God, and they were being led by the promise of God. Why? Because they were God's chosen people, his children. And because they belonged to him, he disciplined them, but his discipline of them was not an abandonment of them. Because they belonged to him as his children, they had the grace and the mercy of God the Father like no other. And so we, as children of God, who have placed faith in Christ, belong to him. We give thanks for his faithfulness and his leading and his loving of us. And as we'll see this morning, this allows us to heed his commands even when we don't understand. 
and also to trust his generous provision despite how it may appear to us as well as to rest in his gracious promises no matter how much time passes. We belong to him whether in the land or in the wilderness and I hope that's of great encouragement to us this morning as weary travelers in this journey of faith. Now, if you remember from last week in verse 40 of chapter one, God said, but as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. This was after God had told his people to enter the promised land, but because of the giants that were in the land that they would have to contend and fight with in order to secure the land, they decided not to go in out of fear. Even though God had promised them victory that as they went into the land, he would give them everything they needed. And because of their disobedience, he told the first generation Israelites that they would not see the promised land in their lifetime. But then the people had a change of heart. They said, okay, we're ready to fight. And God said, no, don't go in there because if you do, you're not gonna have my presence this time. Well, we see here in verse one of our text that Israel decided to obey God. Moses said, then we turned and we journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. They left the region of Kadesh Barnea and traveled into the wilderness and only after 38 years of wandering in the desert did God in verse three here formally announce the end of their time of aimlessly wandering around. Now, while this narrative shares the details of the parallel accounts in Numbers 20 through 24, our passage demonstrates greater interest, not in the details of geography or chronology, but also, but really in the the idea of theology of what God was doing in those years of wilderness wandering with his people and how he was using that in the lives of his people. And in verse two, the Lord said to Moses, you've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward. And command the people, you are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. So God was now ushering his people on a journey, going through these lands a different route. But as we'll see, God commanded his people to travel this different route to the promised land. And it was going through the lands of the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites. But as they did, God gave very specific instruction to his people of how to relate to these nations as they pass through. He told them, don't take any of the land as you go in and don't take the food or the water from them by stealing it as well. And based on the fact that God said that the Edomites will be afraid of you, means that Israel could have plundered them for their land and and its contents. But God called for obedience to his commands, even if Israel didn't quite understand why as they traveled. Can't we all identify at least with this aspect of the Israelite situation? Think of times in your life where God was calling you to do something or not do something and in the moment it made absolutely no sense to you. And now not always the case, but many times after a period of time, you gain greater understanding looking back and going, okay, I see what he was doing there in that moment and why he asked me to do or not do that thing. The first generation was given a command to obey God by entering into the promised land. But in their minds, these giant scary people that were inhabiting the land, they were more powerful than God himself. And so they disobeyed his command. 
And the result of their sin was the consequence of death. That they would not be able to experience this land of milk and honey. And had the first generation army trusted God's word, they would have been given everything they needed to defeat their enemies. But this battle-ready people decided not to go and trust the command of God and follow it, but in fear to stay put. Now God, through his word, he calls us as his followers to obey his commands. And God does so not because he's some egomaniac or this tyrant on a power trip, He calls us to obey his word and his commands because they're the means by which we walk the pathway to a life of flourishing, of joy, of security, of contentment. Obedience to God and his word is where true blessing and communion is found in him as we believe that God is who he says that he is. And in his upside down kingdom, even when it all doesn't make sense and at times feels hopeless, We're to take steps of obedience out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us in his gospel because this is actually where true hope is found. See, trust and obedience are two sides of the same coin. And so we're to trust the parallel paths of our obedience and God's sovereignty and his providence over our lives even when we don't have it all figured out. Where are you withholding trust from God this morning in your life? Because what he's calling you to do or not do doesn't seem to fit into your desires and plans for your life. What if the very challenging and confusing things that God is calling us to walk through are actually leading us to something greater than we're even desiring or we can even imagine in our lives? God calls us to heed his commands, not because we may understand them, because they come from a loving father who is giving them to us. Next, we see that God's generous provision is perfect despite how it may appear to us. Moses makes very clear to Israel who it is that's been sustaining them all these years. Look at verse seven, he says, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the works of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. In these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. Now, if you remember, God has miraculously delivered his people out of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, walking them through the Red Sea. And what do the people do after they're miraculously delivered? Not long after, they complain and say, well, he just brought us out here to die. I'd rather go back. Yet, not seeing the provision of God raining down manna from heaven daily to give them the sustenance they needed and providing them water to drink. And God will later remind them in chapter eight here in Deuteronomy and also in chapter 29, he says, during the 40 years I led you in the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Now folks, that's amazing. 40 years. I have pairs of shoes that wear out in a year. That's God's provision for his people, giving them exactly what they need. And did you notice how when Israel was to pass through the lands of Edom and Moab and Ammon, God said each time, this is not your land. He was reminding them not to settle for something less than he was going to give his people. They were to continue on in their journey to the land that he was giving them. And as his people traveled through these enemy territories, 
God specifically said, don't take their food and their, their water. Buy it with the money that I have provided you. And then you might see these three references there in verse 15 and 16 of the first generation. They're called the men of war. Again, this was a battle-ready people, but we're told that the majority of them perished in the wilderness, not seeing the promised land. So the second generation that's waiting to enter the promised land is not battle-ready, unlike their parents who ironically were battle-ready but yet chose not to fight. And so therefore, this next generation was more aware that their only hope for successful entry into the promised land and, and securing that land was to trust God and to depend wholly upon him. Israel had been provided for by God generously and faithfully, but they couldn't always see it because it didn't come in the manner in which they thought or had hoped that it would. And even as they traveled through Edom and Moab and Ammon and saw God secure a land for their enemies, that had to frustrate them to wonder, God, why are you providing land for them while we're waiting and wondering out here in the wilderness? And at times it can be easy for us to look at our own lives and question God's goodness as to why he's withholding something that we think we need. But just as God said that Israel had lacked not one thing, that still rings true for every one of God's people. God supplies us with everything we need on a daily basis. But do we believe this? And do we see his provision in our lives not only as generous to us, but perfect, tailor-made for every individual? Or do we think that God's just holding out on us? See, in Christ, we can be assured that we lack nothing because our salvation and our glorification are assured. The other night, I got to hear from one of our supportive missionaries of how the Ukrainian refugees uh, were receiving help from the Moldovan churches. And the people in the Moldovan churches are welcoming these Ukrainian refugees and supplying them, giving them everything that they have right down to the rations and the foods that they had put away for the upcoming winter. And when they were asked, these Moldovan Christians, what are you gonna do for the winter? This is how they responded. The Lord will provide for us, just like he used us to provide for the Ukrainian refugees. That's trusting in the provision of a God who knows our need and will supply it at just the right time. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. God sufficiently and generously provides us with our daily needs. The question is, will we receive whatever provision God sends our way, whether that be in abundance or scarcity, in suffering or in wholeness, knowing that everything we have comes from the loving hand of our Heavenly Father. As one pastor put it, will we live in the confidence that there's no circumstance, no suffering, no testing that can ever touch us until it first goes through the sovereign hand of God and His Son and then to us? See, whatever provision we're given has come with great purpose, even if we don't understand what that purpose is in the moment. 
But if we can receive the God's provision, no matter what form it comes, as coming from the throne of grace to bless our lives and to grow us in greater Christ-likeness, then there's no sorrow or trial that can undo us. There's no situation that will cause us to lose hope because we can rest and have joy in the watchful care of King Jesus. Lastly, we learn that God's gracious promises are sure no matter how much time passes. Remember back in Genesis, God made a promise to Abraham to supply he and his descendants with land. And Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had sons named Jacob and Esau, and we know that Jacob's name was later changed to uh, Israel, as they, his family, were the chosen people of the covenant. But Esau, we see in Genesis 27, like his brother, would also receive land. And so when we see this fulfilled in Genesis 36, and the Edomites, who were cousins of the Israelites, through Esau, the descendant. Lot was a nephew of Abraham and he had two sons, Moab and Ammon, and they too received land according to the promise. So the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Edomites, they were all cousins of Israel. But we know that these people were not really fond of the Israelites. As we're told in Numbers 20 and 22 that even as they tried to go through Edom, the king wouldn't allow it. And so he called them to go around. But it even got worse when they got to Moab. Because King Balak, the king of Moab, teamed up with the Midianites and they said, try to pronounce a curse on Israel. And that, when that didn't work, then they sent out their women to try to seduce the men of Israel to idolatry and to sexual sin. And so these three groups, they were not fond of the Israelites, nor were they faithful to God. Yet God still provided them with land and protected their land. Why? The answer lies in the very character of who God is. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. He made a promise some 500 years earlier to Abraham and he was going to see it through to carry out his promise. But another reason is because God cares about the nations. His kindness, his generosity, his patience is meant to be towards those who reject him as giving them time to repent. And believe by faith. This is what Paul says to those who are in rebellion in Romans 2. He says, Or do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And we further see God's heart for the nations in Isaiah 19 as the nations come and bow down before the Lord in worship of him. God made it clear to Israel, even though their time had not come to possess the land, they were to wait for the promise to come true. And so this is why we see in verses 5 and 9 and 19 that he tells them not to harass the Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites. God was keeping his promise to the descendants of Abraham. But God also had another purpose in taking his people the route that he did through these lands. He was showing them that even as they traveled through Moab, the Moabites defeated these huge giants that were in the land. And so he was showing his people, look, you have God on your side. You don't have to fear these tall giant people. But more than that, he was showing that God kept his promise to these people. How much more of those who were not the children of promise will he keep his promise to his beloved children of Israel? 
God was not giving up on his people. But we also see that God keeps his promise to the first generation, even into the negative sense. Because he told them, because of your sin and rebellion, you will not inhabit this land. And the majority of them, even though God had provided for the first generation, delivering them from slavery, giving the law through Moses, providing for their wanderings in the wilderness, the majority of them never got to see this land as they were put to death. But their sin and the consequence of it was to be a warning to the next generation to trust God and his faithful provision in their lives. See, God's faithfulness is even further seen to the promises as he gave his presence, his protection, and his provision to this next generation. And what we see in the preservation of this next generation is that the promise-keeping God is a God who extends his mercy as a God of second chances. This next generation was not defined by the previous sins of their parents. And for you and I whose faith is in Christ, this is good news because we are not defined by any one of our previous sins, no matter how big they are, nor are we defined by the generational sin that has been passed down through our line. It's because Christ was perfect in our place, fulfilling the law where Israel and where we fail, taking upon himself the penalty of our sin in the form of death that we might experience the unending love of God and his mercy and his grace. This is why John could write in John, 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all righteousness. God's grace is greater than our sin. And a great example of this is the Apostle Peter who denied Jesus three times after spending so much time with his Savior and hearing what was supposed to happen. And God came to him in compassion and love. And what did Peter do? He repented of his sin. And God used him mightily to build the church of Christ. Do we trust the promises of God in our lives? And are we willing to wait however long he asks us to until those promises are fulfilled. Now, if we're honest, I think there's probably a part of all of us, when we see blessings that happen in the lives of others, can we not at times ask, when's it gonna be my turn? When am I gonna experience your blessing, Lord? When am I gonna have a marriage like they do? When am I gonna be married, period? When am I gonna be blessed with a child like this family? When will we experience a financial windfall like they are? When is my suffering gonna be delivered from me like I see in their life? And oftentimes we can mistake happiness for blessing when everything that God gives us is for our good and for his greater purposes. So we have to realize is that the fulfillment of God's promises, they're rarely immediate. And as someone who is impatient like myself, that makes waiting on God difficult at times. But remember how long God's people waited on the coming Messiah to arrive. Generation after generation, waiting, anticipating the Savior to come. And when he came, he didn't come in the form that they thought he would. He came as a baby. Not one who would be served, but one who would serve and give his life away for his people. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling to believe that God's promises really are true. That he really is just, that he is good, that he's for you and that his presence is with you. But let me assure you that the God, through the work of Jesus Christ and by the application of his spirit, is carrying out every one of his promises that he's made to you right down to sending his son to come again, to gather his people, the nations around his throne, where there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more wondering what God is up to as we worship the risen king. So don't look to your change in circumstances for your hope. Look to the God who holds each one of your circumstances. I close with this. Some of you know that I bleed red and black as a diehard Georgia Bulldog fan. And while Jessica and I were living overseas and as missionaries in China years and years ago, we had, were able to watch the football games, but we had to do it over the internet in the wee hours of the morning because of the 12-hour difference. And so during one particular game that I was watching, I noticed that the audio was ahead of the action that I was seeing on my computer screen. And the announcer's voice would say, first down, Georgia. But it would take many moments later before I would see the actual play that got us the first down. And so there was a lag in our internet connection. But I decided to watch the final minutes of the game the way it was. And you may wonder why. Because I was trusting the announcer's voice. That he was not going to say something that was not actually happening on the field. And so I knew that his word preceded what was about to happen. So when he spoke, I waited. And then I saw it on my computer screen happen just as he said it would. And I cheered when he said that we scored, not when I saw it on the computer screen. But brothers and sisters, we live in a broken and fallen world. And we suffer from a lagging connection as it were. We're called to wait but we know what happens because we've been given the trustworthy word of God. And so he's told us what's gonna happen and we wait to see that unfold. But in our waiting, we can battle with the power of the indwelling spirit against fear, against the unknown, a doubt, worry, because we know that his word is trustworthy. And so let us look to the author and the perfecter of our faith trusting him wholeheartedly as we journey through the wilderness of this life, holding out great hope for the land of glory that is yet to come in the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And while that can frustrate us at times, we thank you that the promise that you have made, you have not taken back that you have made good on every single promise and so we can trust you when you give us your word and command us to live in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. Would you give us the grace and the strength of your spirit to do so, to walk into the unknown of today and the days ahead, knowing that you are with us, that you are supplying us with every provision that we need to remain faithful to you. And Lord, we do wait for that glorious day of the promise to be revealed as our faith becomes sight and we see our Savior face to face. Lord, give us persevering grace as we endure this world until that day comes. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.